Today's episode is sponsored by the new Reefer Shield Differential Pressure Monitor from Westermeyer Industries. When the filter element of your coalescing oil separator is contaminated, it can hurt your system's performance and efficiency. But how do you know when it's time to replace the filter? Wait too long to service the filter, and you could end up with nasty filter blowout. But replacing too often can be a waste of time and money. The answer is installing a differential pressure monitor. The new Refresh Shield RDP-01 differential pressure monitor is available now with Westermeyer Industries. To find out more, email sales at westermeyerind.com. Once again, that's sales at westermeyerind.com. Look for the new pressure differential monitor available now. Hey, have you guys heard about the new Parker Sporlin S3C case controller? Contractors, how about a case controller with a one-day setup, access to more data, and efficient system operation for the end user? The S3C series of case controllers provides contractors and store owners automated configuration and network integration. You can maintain precise food temperatures without supervisory control. Easily monitors to prevent product loss, and Bluetooth provides a local connection with the TechCheck mobile app. The series includes case controller display module, a valve supporting open protocol, communication via BACnet and Modbus, Sporlin's mobile app, the TechCheck, allows communication with the S3C case controller to enable proof-of-work, diagnostic, and data sharing. The S3C communicates with building automation systems and works with Sporlin's SPW series of pulse-width modulation valves, also the SSR series of electronic expansion valves. Visit Sporlin.com for more information. Doesn't matter. There are only four rules you need to remember. Make the plan, execute the plan, expect the plan to go off the rails, throw away the plan. Let's go to April 13th analysis. All right, so see, so he took care of the technician doing the store, uh, took care of this. So they were there in March, uh, but you see uh, no more errors. Now there's another thing you can do to ping the network. Uh, you can go back up to the network button and test all routers and nodes. Now I won't do the entire test because there's you know probably a hundred or two hundred nodes in this store, uh, yeah. but what I can do is just um, here gas cooler. Now let's go multi deck meet. Uh, here's the node details, and right within here, instead of going to that report, uh, Kevin and Brett, if I go to this question mark, this shows me recent communication errors. No errors. Okay. So I, I can either go to that report, the MRE report, or when I'm inside the node itself, here's the communication error situation. I always go to this question mark right here and no errors found. So that's another test that you can do. Oh, hold on. Is that, is that those other numbers over there? Are, is that uh, important to any, anything to like if you have this type of error or this type of error, this could be this common issue or whatever? 
Uh, no, if you want that detail, what you should do is go back to that MRE report, Brett. Okay, okay. so that's just going to enumerate the amount of um, of um, errors that you have. But if you want some assistance, like uh, helpful tips on what to do, uh, you would definitely want to go back to there, okay? Okay. Uh, now, um, so while I have this highlighted, remember I could test when I was within the node. I could also test from here, so simply test node. And here it is, test OK. So I could either do a test through the node front end itself or through this report, OK? okay. Uh, I'm going to come back to this report. And let's go back to here. So uh, let's see, we did the node statistics, um, the analyzer. Um, this is something I think, Brett, you were asking. This is another analyzer. What, what this will do is uh, give you the amount of updates. And you see right here uh, in red, so I'm going to hit refresh. Uh, what this will do is this will tell you uh, if a node, um, maybe because of um, uh, high voltage interference or whatnot, um, is has has been corrupted and is is talking too many time too much. But if you see, see things, uh, if you see like twenty or thirty or forty thousand updates, that's a node that's just gone off kilter. So if you're in the fourteen hundreds or the thirteen hundreds or down in single digits. Um, that's a node that's uh, just that's working fine. Okay, so that that when I first brought this up, that was an old report, and that might have been left there since startup. Where of course you're going to get a ton of errors because everybody's violating the network with turning power on, off, connecting, and disconnecting things. Uh, but you can see that this is a, a very tight system. So here you have the node identification, the NV name, the subsystem it's on the elapsed time, the number of updates, and the update interval, okay? And this is this is helps you find if you've uh, got a node that's gone off the rails and is just spitting out a ridiculous amount of information. Of course, what that does, it's going to bog down the entire network because it's just putting out quadruple or quintuple the amount of communication packets that it, it, it should be doing, and then you wind up dragging the whole uh, network down. Uh, so this this is a good report to do. Okay. So this is by update interval, and then you could also look at it um, by NV. And again, this will give you the number of updates, um, again, who, why, what, when, where. Any questions, guys, on that? I just had a comment. So, yes. I mean, you know, one of the things you can do, uh, you know, if you have a numerical value being present about, you know, how many errors that you've had, um, you know, see what it is at first when you first get on the job site. Uh, recommended that maybe you reset it and see how often the error is coming through. Um, you know, monitor it for about an hour. You know, you'll be looking over the prints and everything else trying to figure this thing out anyway. Uh, and then basically go back and you know see what it was uh, see what it is like after you had made a repair right so if you found um weird resistances when you were checking the the echelon cable right and you weren't getting 53 on on both sides you were getting something crazy you fixed a certain connection came back reset it and you know see if it's coming in and out less now to see if you actually made an impact on the network yep good point good point and it's always good. Uh, what I always do is after the stores run uh, for five, seven, eight, ten days, 
um, you know, I would always come back in remotely and do a reset because um, the amount of alarms, the amount of uh, network errors and whatnot, because people have their hands all over the system. And like I said, you know, somebody is working on something and they turn the power off to the system inadvertently. You know, it creates all all kinds of errors. The microthermal control is always it's always gets shipped with the UPS. So if uh, somebody turns um, all of the you know the frozen food aisle off um the um hmi is still going to be looking for it so it's going to go oh my god where's this where's this so it's going to start spitting out a bunch of lost communication errors and um you know and that stuff that's normal that happens on a startup so good housekeeping would be you know come back seven days 10 days 14 days and clear all of that stuff out and then like brett said then take a look you know a day later two days later and make sure that if you were having a problem that you did solve the problem you, you could also have you know one board or one section of communication that could be actually taking out the whole network um, so sometimes what you would have to do at that point and I know we've discussed this where basically you start breaking down the network so if you got you know four connections that are going out into the store um, and the whole store just keeps going intermittently just on and off um, as far as communication what you can do unplug all the communication cables you know, plug in number one. Oh, wow, it's really steady. Nothing's really happening. Plug in number two. Still running steady for the next 10, 15, 20 minutes. Plug in number three. Oh, they all went to hell. So then basically you would unplug three, uh, plug four back in. Now you know you at least have three good networks, and now you can work on trying to figure out what on that network is causing you to, you know, basically have your issues. Right, and um, short of doing it manually, you could go up into the network tools here and then use, uh, again, either testing all routers and nodes, which will be a little bit too long to do for this uh, for this uh, show, um, but that would do that for you, uh, or uh, doing the node statistic report would be a, a way of doing it. Now, um, I don't know if we uh, have time for this, but um, I do want to show you the network quality. I guess you might be edit able to edit this after but I, I do want to show you this but let me do one thing so I'm going to highlight a node here um, and uh, we did um, you can see the node details we talked about this now the location your description your neuron ID and then again here's all your communication errors are going to be listed here so here this one since the last time it's reset uh, it's got a total of uh, 890 um, I don't have permission to do this but um, if I wanted to clean house I could reset the counter to zero uh, if I'm sure I've taken care of the problem and then again if you're looking for most recent errors you just hit, hit that question mark there and it'll tell you most recent errors um, now uh, let's just um, if we have time I'd like to show you this network quality but that is going to take five minutes to do so um, did you want to just uh, talk freely while this is doing the test or you want to edit out the time you tell me Brett how you want to handle this Okay, cool. So now I'm going to do a uh, network quality. So the first thing it asked me is, do you want to reset all communication errors and nodes first? Yes. So this is going to take a little bit of a time. But what this tool does for you is it's going to look at everything. It's going to look at every node. It's going to look at the communication errors, etc. So now we just reset everything uh, to zero. And I'm going to hit the button that says start test. 
So I'm here to tell you, if you want to make a note of this, uh, guys, we consider a very good network if you get a quality rating of 11 through 20. If you get a network quality more than 20, a 30 or a 40, then it's time to start, you know, your detective work, like Brett was saying, and start looking for where either you have excessive resistance in a channel or a sub-channel, or you got a node that's chattering too much. So again, you want to be 11 to 20, and if you have a super tight network, uh, you want to be from 0 to 10. The closer you get to 0 on the test, um, is excellent. So anything from 0 to 10 we consider to be an excellent very very tight network. So right now it, it's thinking that's why we got the uh, spinning blue wheel here and it's probably going to ask me if I want to do a, 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 a bunch of clearances and then you'll see the uh, clock. Uh, okay the network quality test will not be accurate. Reset any notes. So I want to do yes. And you see now it's it's starting down. So this will take five minutes. So um, I'm going to throw it back to you. And anything you want to get out there, anything that I could explain while this is going uh, on, I'd be glad to do that. So Charlie, on on the actual nodes. So say you're like troubleshooting a node. You got one offline. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, his internet. Uh oh. <laughs> So after we do this test, maybe I'll go back to a node and just open the node itself up, Brett, and, and hopefully uh, Kev could get back on, and, and maybe we can do some virtual trouble, troubleshooting of a node right within the, the, the icon itself. So uh, how, how many nodes are you limited per either branch of the... Um of the line or or on the whole system in, entirely okay um the number uh, on the whole system is so large i would have to look it up brett but i again the network um um let's say bible by echelon is this you're allowed to have as far as cable length is concerned uh 1640 feet and within that 1,643, if they're simple nodes like an MT500, 508, 512, you can have a total of 64. We round the number down, we just say 60. If they're compound nodes like the case controller, we say 50 because they're communicating so much when they're a compound node. Now, if you need that segment to be bigger, what you can do in microthermal, and I should have said that when I had the PowerPoint up, you can start a channel with a router. You can go 1,600 feet for 64 nodes. Then I can put an echelon repeater. And then I can go another 1,640 feet and another 50 compound or another 60 um, simple nodes. Uh, and I can have as many channels. There is a maximum. I don't recall what that number is, but I've never, ever, ever gotten close to it. Ever. <laughs> it's 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 a large number. I'm sorry that I don't know that number no. off the top of my head. You're fine. Kev, Kev, go ahead and finish your question. I'm sorry. You cut out. Yeah, sorry. My crappy internet went out again. Um, so, say you have one board, Charlie, just mm -hmm. for everybody. Say you have one board offline, and you're going through it. It's got power. You can't get it online. What? Where do you go next with it? With microthermal. Okay, all right. Um, so if um, if I've tested and I've got power, if I've done the um, if I've done the network test, uh, and I've done the um, you know the communication test, 
Um, actually, what I would do at that point, we keep plenty in stock. I would pull that note out and 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 replace it. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't go any further than that. Um, I really don't have that happen very often. Uh, but um, if I was doing the full microthermal class and it was a simple 508 board, uh, their test points where you can check, okay, I've got 24 volts coming into the board. Now, uh, some things like um, simple switches and thermistors, they need the 5-volt uh, circuit. So there's a point on the board for ground and another 5-volt test point. And you can see, do I have um, a 5-volt circuit? Yes or no? Um, then transducers and complex devices like a, a combined temperature and RH might need 15 volts. There are other points where, again, ground and 15 volts, and you can make sure that you do, in fact, have 15 volts present on the circuit um, that uh, is uh, supposed to, um, you know, p power those uh, complex devices. If it is a combo board that has relays, there are momentary switches uh, that you can toggle back and forth to physically hear the switch make or break on the control itself. And if you're close enough, you can hear the, um, that's a pilot relay, then you can hear either a big relay make or break or either a fan come on or off or a compressor come on and off based on the action of the momentary switch. Uh, so I would do, I would do uh, make sure that I have power. Uh, I would uh, then make sure that um, it's not a violation in terms of um, the board wasn't programmed completely. So I would hit the reset button, which is momentarily takes the, the power away and wipes the, uh, the, the temporary memory. And then I would either reprogram it or send the configuration back to the node. Sometimes it was just a broken install. Okay, so um, if you've done everything that I said, you uh, tested the voltage, uh, you've done the internal node test, uh, you've looked at the recent error reports, uh, you've done the physical um, tests on the relays, and then you've resent the conf you did a reset on the board, and you did re you sent the configuration again, and the node uh, still uh, goes offline, uh, then um, then I would replace that node, Kev. Simple right. enough. Okay, it looks like we're getting close. Uh, we should. Uh, the test is over, so we should get a value on this um, on this shortly. So, so real again, quick, oh, sorry. real quick before I forget. So we were talking about voltages. Um, the mm -hmm. reason, guys, why that's really important is you know most boards have a certain range that they can be high and low. Um, it's important to pay attention to that because if it does go lower than what it's supposed to, a lot of times you'll start having uh, draws on, you know, basically your uh, your network because it'll be too low. Or if you have an input board, uh, you could have sporadic um, numbers reading on there because it's basically changing your voltage, which is changing, you know, the reading that it's supposed to be getting back um, back to the controller uh, for your temperatures. So. I've seen a lot of times where, you know, it'll say that it's supposed to have a 240 transformer, but, you know, maybe they messed up and it's supposed to be, you know, 208. Well, basically, that's going to throw your voltage off, um, especially most of the time you'll see this in the peak of summer um, because the hotter it gets outside, more people are turning on the air conditioning. We're just putting draw on the uh, on the voltage on the grid, and basically your, your voltage is all the way in the toilet causing your... Um, 
any of your uh, controls or anything to malfunction. What's the lowest voltage that Microthermal can run on their boards? Uh, I, it's plus or minus 5%, no, no more, no less. Okay. Yeah, plus or minus 5%. Now, this is an incredibly uh, tight network, uh, one of the best that I've seen. So the, remember I said uh, that um, 11 to 20 is very good and uh, 1 to 10 is excellent. Um, yep. This is 1.3. Uh, so that means the actual physical wiring itself, all of the connections, all of the uh, the amount of errors um, since this store has been running. Um, again, um, I've... This is one of the best stores that I've seen. 1.3. Uh, it's as close to zero as I've ever seen. So this is a very, very tight network. So you would expect um, no loss of any nodes, no loss of any information, uh, nodes not dropping off and disappearing. Um, this, this, this is uh, this is a tight store with a tight network. You need to find me a store that, that looks really crappy as far as the network. I was just interested on like you know all the numbers and like you know how bad it was going to be, right? <laughs> oh, I, I, right. I've seen a store recently where the electrician daisy chained all the rooftops uh. and I'm talking slow. Like, as soon as you unplugged all the rooftops, I mean, Alliance would run, you know, fast. It was speedy. As soon as you plugged the rooftops back in, it, everything was just slow. Yeah, and, and yeah that's terrible. Yep. Yep. What you should do um, is just come up uh, with a uh, you know a drop to the roof, and then if there's six rooftops, um, just make a six-leg spider and just pick each one up individually. Uh, he probably just did, like you said, Kevin. He probably just did one big as daisy chain from one to another. There was probably tons of extra cable and whatnot. Uh, yeah. If if you put a network segment in or a channel in and it bogs everything down, that's absolutely a violation. Um, uh, and that's a dead giveaway. So um, that was a good heads up if you if you caught that. But what you wind up doing? Did you have to have him rewire the network over there? Well, he didn't end up doing it. I ended up doing it. Okay. Okay. They were gone by then, so came the startup guy's problem. <laughs> what was uh, what, were, what were the numbers before and after, Kev? To be honest, I didn't really check. I just knew okay. that. Uh, that that was the last part of the job, so we just knew as, as soon as they, as soon as we brought the HVAC online, it was nothing but problems. So I didn't really check that at that point because we already knew there was an issue, and we saw the daisy chains. So right away we knew we knew we had to start. We had to move a bunch of them around. We ended up having to star a couple, and it got a lot better after we after we made a couple stars and uh, got rid of like the big part of the daisy chain at the front of the store. And yeah. then it got a lot better. Oh, um, I, there's one thing that I want to show you, which is uh, pretty cool. Uh, let's see, do we have one on this store? Let me go back to, uh, uh, yeah, here, something we call an MPC. I'm going to open this up for you. And uh, what it, this is not really network, but what this does is this allows you to take one of our standard boards and jailbreak it. So you see the node type is a 508. Okay, so that has eight. All of our 500 boards have eight universal inputs, okay? And then the number eight uh, or four or 12, that tells you the amount of relays that are on here. So here's uh, what's being input to the board. 
Universal 1, Universal 3, all of these are unconfigured. So this looks like it's the refrigeration trailer out back, and we're simply, um, you know, taking the temperature. Uh, but this is the cool part right here is the network. Um, what this does is it visualizes for you um, all instead of all of the ones and zeros and getting to, into C++, what you do is you, from these pallets, you drop down, okay, so here's digital input one, it's a switch, it's going to NVO, it's also going to the timer, and then out of the timer, it's going to go to DO7 and DO8, and he did a good job here, alarm silence. If the button is pressed, DO8 will open NC contacts for the refrigeration alarm board relay number one. If a new alarm comes in the board, relay will pulse and will re uh, reset the silence. Um, and it looks here's a gas cooler water drain. Uh, so this is part of Microthermal that actually lets you get in and write your own program. And you do it, uh, again, I use that term GUI, graphic user interface. What you do is you're pulling down what you need, an NVI an NVO or whatnot. Do I need a, P, uh, a PID? Do I need a timer? Um, do I need a sequencer? And if you can think it and draw it on a pad, then you do it on this palette here. And this is how you um, do a custom program of a microthermal board um, uh, using the MPC, uh, which allows you to, you know, we try to think of everything uh, off the shelf uh, for boards. Okay, you want it to be a gas cooler, you want it to be a condenser, you want it to do do a chiller skid but what this does it, it it opens it up or jailbreaks it for lack of a better term and you can do custom pro programming of a, of a 500 or a 700 through the mpc do they have them for the seven can you do mpcs in the seven yeah 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 we got it now yeah oh yeah beautiful yeah well, I, I i was i was waiting for that that's uh that's gonna be real real nice so, um is it can you uh, have multiple boards in a train on a 700 board? Uh, yes, they all have to start with a 722F, and that's the that's the main um, uh, microcomputer. And I can have, uh, depending upon the utilization, a total of another 10 nodes plugged into that lead 722F. Oh, see that that that's awesome. I mean, now, the one thing that, I, Kev, you and I discussed this, when it comes to racks, um, it's it's a, not a limitation. It's it's a rule that we put on to ourselves, especially with CO2. There are certain inputs for oil, uh, for temperature, for pressure that we want absolutely to be instantaneous. So they have to. It, this is just the way the engineers want it. They have to land directly to that board. We don't want to take it as a network broadcast because no matter how fast the network is, there is still a lag time when it's a broadcast variable rather than a pressure transducer that's wired directly to the board. Uh, so I just want to make sure everybody that listens to the podcast knows about that when it comes to controlling a rack, especially a CO2 rack, um, you know, back pressure, head pressure, gas cooler, um, outside ambient or whatnot. There are certain things that have to be home run, hardwired landed to that MT700 that's controlling the rack or the gas cooler because we don't want not even a half a second delay in that information um, being available uh, to the uh, to the node. 
Um, other than that, you can broadcast. So like if I have a multi-deck with a case controller and I want it to be smarter um, and I want it to know what is happening to the inside relative humidity and the inside temperature, if it gets it at a quarter of a second or a half a second or God forbid one second lag because it's a broadcast network variable, that's not going to foul up the case controller at all if there if it's a little bit slow getting that broadcast information but uh, my guys in engineering feel that they don't want any type of a lag when it comes to um, the nodes that are controlling uh, a co2 rack and a gas cooler they they want it to be real time landed directly to to that train so they all start off with a 722f and you can mix and match you can have input boards you can have valve boards you can have combination where it's inputs on the bottom and relays on the top uh, so uh, where the 500 series um, kind of locked you in, um, there wasn't a lot of flexibility. With the 700, you have much more flexibility because that 722F, that brain is so much more powerful than the uh, micro uh, computer that was on the original 500 series. I would, I would love to get you on again, Charlie, just to go over like the 700 series boards. Okay, and sure. Their programming and then... Also, we've had like a ton of requests for you guys to like come on and go over NPCs, like just like a light, like build how to build an NPC, like go over the program. I mean, guys have been asking for like nonstop. Yeah, well, you know, what I'd like to do, especially with the MPC, is maybe get somebody like Michael Morissette, um, you know, one of our resident geniuses up at Montreal, the guys that write MPCs all day, you know what I'm saying? Uh, he would be, the, again, uh, uh, I know how to apply them, uh, but to have somebody really, uh, you know, give you a 101 on how to do an MPC, yeah, yeah, we can work something like that out, no problem. Charlie, yeah. how do you how do you give me the software for the uh, to make all those uh, logic statements um, so I could practice that? Uh, I can send it to you. Uh, you can download it. Uh, there's a demo version of Microthermo. It just comes on a regular zip drive. Uh, so what you can do is just anybody listen, send me an email, and then I'll get you. Uh, we're up to I think version 8.3 um, on the on the device, and it, it's going to do about 90% of what you can do in a real site. So you can drop, you can build a rack, you can drop controllers and whatnot uh, and it functions almost uh, like a real site so yeah uh, that's our demo program and it just make a note it's real simple the user ID is demo demo and the password is demo demo yep and it's on a little zip drive we send it to you it's got to be loaded on a Windows device though Brett um, it's not going to work on an Apple computer or whatnot um, it is a it's a Windows uh, driven application so it's got to be on a laptop that's uh, um, I prefer Windows 10 um, because the 8 the version 8 and higher is so much powerful uh, Windows 7 was okay for like version 6 version 7 um, but hopefully you got a, a version 8 excuse me a Windows 10 laptop it'll work the best on that hey guys I want to take a break and talk about Westermeyer one of our other sponsors today's episode is sponsored by Westermeyer Industries the leader in oil management and pressure vessels for the commercial refrigeration industry 
Well, well, that's everything that I can think of. Uh, is there anything in terms of troubleshooting that you were looking for that I, I didn't touch base on tonight? No, I think you did a great job of the network stuff. I would love to get you back on and uh, maybe go over the 700 series and 500 series stuff and then you know, eventually break out into the, some of the MPC stuff. I mean, guy, I think guys will love that and uh, I think it'd be pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. We, we could, again, it may not have to go uh, as long as this one, but we could do one on just 500 hardware. Okay. Uh, I can talk about those test points that we, we talked about earlier. Um, and, you know, the ins and outs, you know, how many analog outputs, how many inputs, etc. And then we can do another show for 20 or 30 minutes just uh, on the 700. Maybe again, try to, um, what I can do, let's see here. Let me go to the rack. Uh, let me see. Uh, let me open this up. See, that's what the 700 looks like now, and it's it's so much nicer. Um, you ha you had to be, you know, use um, microthermal all the day to every day know where all of the information was in the 500. Uh, but we've um, again, you go to the library stack. I call it the stack of knowledge. So anything about the rack, the discharge group, the suction group, a uh, one suction group two, you would find from this stack here. Your configuration. So everything you needed to know about the configuration. But the cool thing that I wanted to tell you is with the 700, this is what I like. Um, you get an actual, um, a virtual picture. So it starts with the 722. Um, so here, uh, this is VFD speed. Uh, VFD speed. Uh, this is pressure. Uh, this is a simple switch. So you just hit this arrow. So it looks like we've got the 722. We got a 784. We got another 784 and we got another 784. So if you see green, that means it's available. But you you see how this, set, Kev, it's mix and match. I got a switch, switch next to a temperature. I, uh, you know, I could have a, a then a pressure. You can mix and match it and purpose this where you really didn't have this kind of flexibility and liberty uh, with the 500, with the 700 system. I mean, here, pressure, temperature, pressure, temperature, switch, switch. Okay, feedback of the drive. So again, it all starts with the 722, which is a super powerful brain. And this has another uh, one, two, three. So I can have a total of the brain and another 10, no 10 notes plugged into it if I, if I needed to. Can you, sh can you do the same thing you're doing there except for showing me the nodes for the uh, inlet pressure or, yeah, for the inlet pressure regulator uh, for the flash tank? Uh, hold on. Uh, so let's see where where do we have that? Let me get out of here. So that's going to be a seven seven hundred something, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So let me find out where they got that. So uh, they were pretty good. Oh, here it is. Uh, here's primary throttle and FGB control. Here we go. Let's check it out. Yeah, they they were pretty good. We did like two or three stores with them, uh, Costco's with them. I mean, they. Yep. Uh, so. <clears throat> So this is the 700. It's a two-valve controller. So this one just takes a, 
a, a special brain and a special controller. Uh, so not not only so we said, hey guys, now that you did this for CO2, you know you could do other things. What do you mean? I said, well, how about if if I had a CDS before and after, um, you know, just a, a regular receiver? Or how about if I had an A8 or A9? So now we make get this we make a motorized head that you can retrofit onto an a8 and a9 and back from my days when i was strictly a mechanical guy i would do classes and charlie wait a minute how do which one do i do do i do the a8 first or do i do the a9 first uh so to take all that mystery out of how do you uh set um you know those valves out um you put a motor on the eight uh and then a eight and a nine and then you use the two valve controller uh to feather one is a whole back valve and one is the receiver uh controller just to uh just to control the receiver in a standard system so uh it's cool so uh on this again you got the question mark here and uh again help on this system page so anything you want to know uh, of what this is doing is on there for the question so here's your inputs all right so we have um we have pressure and um here's the model number of the pressure transducer we're using uh here's an onboard diagram so you don't have to run and find a catalog uh so the your uh, common and your um uh, shield are together and then your signal is uh, coming in on the white and your power is coming in um on the um on the red and the cool thing we did on the 700 series um one thing that a lot of people are concerned about and when i do the hardware class the 500 boards had to be a center tap transformer uh they had to be because of the way they split the 5 volt and the 15 volt circuit up the good thing about the 700 series, you you look at the VA value for each, you know, for the brain in each one of the nodes. Just make sure your, you know, your uh, transformer can handle the train, but it's just the standard transformer now. It does not have to be a center tap transformer. And that might not sound like a lot, but brother, go try to find a center tap transformer in the United States when you need one. Uh, that's that's bit me in the butt. I can't tell you how many times if somebody smokes one of the older 500 boards, they, they can't be fed with a regular transformer. Okay. Right. Uh, we're, we're, what have we at? We at outputs right now? Or? Uh, no, we're on the input. So here's, uh, so uh, I've got my pressure. I've got my temperature. Uh, I've got, uh, now see, this is bound. So this is coming in um, from the network. Um, T08, that's direct, and that's just an orange lead. T21, uh, that's a, another 10K2 orange lead. Uh, so that's the inputs. Uh, and let's see, what are my outputs? Okay, so it's a sporlin. Now there's other valves that we look. See, we're agnostic. We can use an Alco, we can use a Danfoss, or we can use a Sporlin. So this store has a GC30. It's programmed radius. What does that mean? The inlet is coming on the radius of the uh, port. And, um, oh, they used an SDR4 here uh, for this valve, for valve 2. Uh, so, again, Sporlin or the other manufacturers that I told you about. This happens to be an SD4. And... Um, Here's the current percent open, current percent open. And if I was going to override it, I could do it right from here. But um, yeah, here's um, the initialization. Here's the lawn information. Here's the drive information. And same thing over here. General, limitations, 
initializations. So this is the only one, guys, that looks like this because this is a specialized valve. What this does is it controls two valves concurrently and simultaneously so they feather back and forth so this window is different than any of our other 700 windows because of the specific purpose uh, of this uh, combination here uh, again strictly we we uh, designed this uh, to control the flash gas uh, bypass valve and um, the uh, droplet coming out of the gas cooler and they got to work in tandem uh, just to close this picture so um, what we have going here is again if the co2 has gone past the critical point and, and i've got a super critical undefined fluid then i have to make sure that i can have a enough of a pressure drop here so that I can urge that CO2 to come back uh, to um, uh, to a liquid state uh, over here I'm sorry and then again it's got another valve that bleeds off uh, to the low temp suction so through a suction and through the drop we're always trying to maintain uh, as close to 100% liquid CO2 and the flash gas uh, bypass at all time. And and uh, again, I, I notice with CO2 systems, you're doing well if you can have two or three or four degrees of subcooling. Um, I've not seen one yet where you can get eight, 10 or 12 degrees of subcooling. Uh, so you got to be careful with your piping and whatnot to make sure that you've got 100% liquid CO2 getting uh, getting out to the store uh, so yeah th that combination of those two valves by that controller uh, that's where a lot of the magic happens in a transcritical co2 system Kevin how, how you probably looked at a bunch of the graphs for these um, you know you you've always said that the you know the 326 controller has a decent program in it but normally you know if you get it right off the shelf you're looking like a 40 or 50 pound differential between you know, the flash tank and, you know, the, basically the high and the low for the set point. What have you seen when it's being controlled uh, through microthermal? I mean, it's the same way until you tune it. I mean, after you tune it, the microthermal one's just as good as the Danfoss one. It, does, it doesn't matter what it is. The stock settings never work. You know, everything has to be tuned, and that's the, be the beauty about microthermal. You have more tuning set points in the microthermal in that two valve controller than you do the Danfoss. So you have a little bit more flexibility with it. And it's a little nicer in that sense. Mm -hmm. But Danfoss is easier canned. I mean, but you get more flexibility with programming and tuning on micro the microthermal controller. Like so we did, we, I was able to get the receiver pressure at like an eight pounds, eight pound swing max, which is pretty good. Yeah. Um, valve controller and that's with me having a little bit of time on it messing around with it where where is that in the settings like if if charlie goes back back to that where would that be that obviously not inputs or outputs um is that more in the the detailed or where is that it's in the pid settings oh, okay get out of here and let me go to we may have to blow up into this and um Yes, cooler. Um, I'm excited here because I don't get to go. Yeah, yep. uh, on on your jobs, have they been in an MPC, Kevin? Um, where the PIDs for the um, um, for the gas cooler was? Where did you find them in the in the jobs that you were working on? 
all mine were in the 700 boards uh -huh. like for the for the uh, oh the, oh okay so it's going to be in the block diagram here the way this guy did it yeah i i've never seen them in the block diagrams okay um all all of ours were actually in the actual 700 board you would go into the 700 board and all the settings were inside of there once yeah. you once you opened up the three the little three lines and you actually went into the setup of it you could change like the throttle range the flash gas yep. bypass uh minimum percentage and all that stuff. okay and that was that was probably is it right to mention a manufacturer that was probably a hill store zero zone oh zero zone does it the same way too okay this is an lmp store and the reason they um they jailbreak that with an mpc is because they're doing other things you see this here they do actually liquid injection uh they do heat exchangers so um they add a couple of extra bells and whistles um uh more than i've seen on other stores so that's probably why they did the jailbreak and they have that mpc on the gas cooler control rather than um rather than something off the shelf so again it looks like what they did on the gas cooler here is uh they actually wrote a, a custom program for that yeah see my, mine were all costcos yeah you guys, yep. and my yeah, thermal was, head 100 off the shelf yep you know, 100 control it was however you guys wanted to control it you guys were yeah. the complete uh control yep. integrated. Yep. So. Yeah, I wish I wish I could um go into a Costco but they don't like me to do that. So I, I can't do that. But Kevin brings up a good point. Any store especially, you know, with microthermal, you, you um it will run as good as um as you set it up. So uh, an easy way to explain that. I'm I'm going to open up a case controller. Um and let's just go to this me case here. And um you know it's programmed off the shelf by my integrator and that's as close as he can figure to make this board as smart as you want it to be but if you have the time and the money on the job the first thing you want to do to see okay how how well is this controlling go to the graph that's pretty damn good uh let me blow this up uh i wasn't expecting something as tight as that the blue is the uh set point and the green is the actual temperature so you see this case controller is working tight um you know um if somebody doesn't do their due diligence this can be super spiky and all over the place but again what are some of the things I would do to tighten up I would go into graphs and I would go into uh valve position so let's go percent valve open you see that look at that this guy whoever is doing this store they got this brother on the money so i close for defrost you know i open wide right after defrost and i drop like a rock as far as i can and then i'm modulating right around 40 percent so um stay with me here so i'm going to go to control and all right he's got the base open of 30 percent i might say it should be 40 but with those linear graphs and the refrigeration range is 30 times 2 so the maximum this would ever go is 60 and again this is all going back to the graph again so let's go back to the valve percent open um you know what they're doing for regular refrigeration is they're noticing the valve never really has to go much beyond here your average is 37.3 okay um so why let the valve go 100 percent open if it doesn't need to go 100 percent open then the other thing you do is you go to your superheat and that's pretty steady superheat 
right there as plus or minus now again with co2 don't be alarmed that might be a little bit higher than um what you would expect but with with co2 control um as far as superheat is concerned okay it's really working in the background to prevent flood back but as far as the configuration is concerned it's temperature control priority with superheat as a backup so that's why you might see, um, you know, superheats that are a little bit higher than one would imagine. But if you do your job right with microthermo, so this is a two temperature, this has got a set one and a set two, but that's the kind of graph you want to see. If you see, if you see a graph that's, um, you know, all kinds of spiky, then you haven't done your job. So you should see your your peak up like this on defrost and once i go back into refrigeration it should drop like a rock and that's the way it should run totally totally linear right on top of your set point and the more yeah. linear you get all, the, all those graphs the better off all the rest of the graphs are going to be as far as all your pressure and stuff Sorry, right because this is you're right brett this is compound so imagine 150 nodes in the store right if they're all over the place then your your load coming back to the rack is going to be bouncing all over the rack place so now your rack is going to be unstable uh so that's the key start at the evaporator get that stabilized uh don't give it an ounce more refrigerant than it needs to do its job and with co2 i'm going to say 99 percent of the stores i've done it's all been temperature control with superheat limit and i mean these are beautiful graphs that's exactly what you want to see uh this is getting your money's worth out of electronic controls if if you pull up a graph and and it's it's haywire and it looks like a mountain chain with a bunch of ridiculous um you know uh spikes all over the place you yeah you you got to go in and you and you've just like kevin said um there's off the shelf we make our best scientific estimate of where it should run but you should come back and tune things up uh, so that it, it runs like a top and then once once uh, it's uh, run like a top um, it's up to you we do have customers that once they've done uh, a run of about six months they really are strict and they they lock the system down and and instead of giving configuration uh, they may only give um, maintenance permission uh, and that will limit a lot you see how this pallet went away that'll limit a lot a lot of what you can do at this store again um, it's the end user store but um what they want to do is they want to lock down that performance envelope so that it it doesn't uh, it doesn't drift away over time and then the store becomes an energy hog yeah plain and simple that that 700 series case controller is probably one of the best case controllers out there if not the best like that 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 controls cases so much tighter than anything i've seen in the all the abilities you have to tune everything yeah, and, and Kevin, um, and the reason for that is, you know, uh, when you open it up, oh, see what I did? You always have to remember, it looks like it's going to, I always try to be in configuration if it allows me, uh, but um, your system information has to be set up correct. Your configuration has to be set up correct. You got to double check your inputs and outputs. But the reason it gets to be so smart is there's a, um, a valve setting. Let me put my okay there's a, a a valve setting okay so again here's the base value for this case it's 20 
2.5 times 20 so the maximum under refrigeration not after defrost under normal refrigeration this valve will never go over 50 percent then there's a superheat algorithm there's a pull down algorithm there's a temperature control algorithm there's an environmental correction now they, they're not using that because I think this could be a POS uh, there's defrost algorithm so you have all of these algorithms um, set up uh, and again that's that's how we get uh, those case controllers to be so tight because there's so many correction factors running concurrently in the control uh, that's why we're, we're able to um, get graphs Let's just take a look at another one. This is, um, looks like frozen food. And we'll take a look at that. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I got to tell you, man, that's that's a thing of beauty right there. I mean, I'll, I'll zoom it in. When I first got into this business 40 years ago, I thought you could only do laboratory control that tight. Uh, but you can't even see the difference between the blue and the green line because they're right on top of each other. That's how tight it is. Uh, so uh, here's another cool thing you could do, trend graphs. Uh, so somebody's already set this up. So here's your control temperature, and here's your circuit control temperature uh, calls for it. And um, you can build a total of seven graphs within um, any of our nodes, and then you can save it in history. And then if you've got a bad actor and you need to come back to the store in another week or another month, you don't have to recreate all of these graphs again. You all you've just got to say you've got it saved in history, and you pull it up um, when you have to come back to the store and, and troubleshoot. It's already there for you. Well, guys, thanks a lot for spending the time with me. I really appreciate it. No, I, I appreciate you coming on, man. Um, I have, I love when we do podcasts like these because you know I learn so much. You know, um, I like you said before. I, I would love to have you on again. You know, talking about you know, you know, different aspects uh, of you know of the, some of the different controllers, some of the other shooting sure. with that. Mm -hmm. um, Kevin, did you have anything else? I think that's it for tonight. I mean, this is a good one. This is gonna be end up being two episodes. I mean, we got a lot yeah, of time sure. out of this. So I, I would love to have you on again, Charlie, and sure. uh, maybe we can set up something with Michael and uh, do the NPC stuff. And yep. uh, I mean, I, I think that'd be great. And uh, I mean, you guys are going to get a lot of uh, experience out of this. So I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, talking with us. My um, pleasure. Thanks for the invite. I appreciate it. Uh, before I forget, guys, um, there is a document out there, uh, Best Wiring Practices for Microthermal. Um, you know, it shows you, you know, how things should be wired, you know, the rules of thumb, a lot of the stuff that Charlie went over. But just be mindful that that document does exist. Um, and if I can, I'll try to put it on the Advanced Refrigeration uh, Podcast uh, Facebook group. Um, I'll put a link uh, to that file on there so you guys can read through that if you'd like. Awesome. That's a great point. We, we do have one on wiring and we do have a, a, a bulletin on network architecture. So that's that's available. I could get you the bulletin number on that too. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, All right, guys. Uh, thanks for listening and uh, thanks for coming on, Charlie. I appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure, guys. Thanks for inviting me. All right. Have a good night, guys. All right. Take good care. Bye-bye.
how about we go rock, paper, scissors? Ooh, I don't think so. No. Anecdotal evidence suggests that in a game of rock, paper, scissors, players familiar with each other will tie 75 to 80% of the time due to the limited number of outcomes. I suggest rock, paper, scissors, lizard, Spock. <laughs> what? It's very simple. Look, scissors cuts paper, paper covers rock. Rock crushes lizard, lizard poisons Spock. Spock smashes scissors, scissors decapitates lizard, lizard eats paper, paper disproves Spock, Spock vaporizes rock, and as it always has, rock crushes scissors. Watch me put a rapper in a suplex, I'm killing these lames. I am the real Slim Shady in my Eminem face. Just salute me when you see me like it's Veterans Day. All these new rappers sweeter than some lemon meringue. If the show's not litty, then I can't go there. I'm more hated than the rapper with the rainbow hair. Tell amigos I'm robbing them for Quavo's share. And tell Offset I'm gonna need a bank loan player. 